going everybody welcome to the third line plug sensecast i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tim jensey tim how's it going sir going good it's going good hasn't been too busy a week so i've uh, had a bit more time to sit down and watch some hockey so i'm pretty happy about that yeah it's just a shame that the games themselves couldn't have been better but you know yeah, no kidding. you know this is why we got a podcast tim that we can Meet once a week and bet you about our team. Yeah, no kidding. So, Tim, we got a fully packed episode this evening. Now, before we do any further, we've got a huge, huge announcement right now. Alert, 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 alert. We are very proud to announce former Ottawa Senators goaltender Ron Tugnut will be joining us for an exclusive interview on May 8th. I still can't believe that we got him. And it was funny because all I did was I just tweeted him, never got a response. And the next thing you know, he slid in our DMs and we hooked it up. And I can officially confirm that we officially nailed it down a little more than a couple of hours ago. Nice. Pretty excited. And I think this is our first Ottawa Senators, former Ottawa Center on the show. It is, absolutely. Like This is our very first, and hopefully first of many ex-Ottawa Senators to join the Third Line Plug Sensecast. But, you gotta start somewhere, and Ronnie Tugnut is definitely the best man to start it off with. Yeah. Actually, it's funny, of the former NHL players we've had, they've both been goldies. And they were both taken in the 2000 expansion draft, too. Noodles was taken by Minnesota, and Tugger was taken by Columbus. Nice. Yeah. So, Tim, let's talk about today's cover athlete, because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 2, in chronological order, Episode 79, the Drake Batherson edition. So, just a little background about Drake Batherson. He was drafted 121st overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2017. He has played parts of two seasons with the Ottawa Senators, currently in his third. He has recorded six goals, 16 cents for 22 points in 48 games for Ottawa at the time of this podcast. So, Tim, I know that it's kind of early to name Drake Batherson our cover athlete, and we're definitely going to talk about him later on in this episode when we get to the games. So far in his young career, like, what has been your thoughts overall on Drake Batherson? He's definitely really coming to his own this season and towards the end of last season as well. He's really strong in the puck, very skilled. I could definitely see him becoming, if at least a second-line right-winger, possibly end from the way early returns so far and at the end of last season, a first-line winger in the NHL. Drake Batherson has the complete tool set, and he's just an absolute beauty to watch. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, Tim. And I think the one thing for me when I think of Drake is I know that the fans were so high on him since he first got his first reps in the NHL, and I was just... I, I don't know. For me, I wasn't as super high on him just because I just didn't know... 
if his skills were to, were to translate, just because it didn't look like he had a ton of confidence. But definitely being sent down to Belleville last season, when he came back up, I was a complete believer in Drake Batherson once I saw him play. I was like, oh my god, this guy has really gained the confidence, and he's definitely filling out. Like He's still young. He's only 22, 23 years old, so he definitely has a lot more to go. But you know what? As you said, man, like those early returns have definitely been very fruitful for the Ottawa Senators, and hopefully him and Tim Stutzla will form the best first line in the Ottawa Senators' history, potentially. Well, at the same time, the Kachuk-Norris-Batherson line has been an absolute beauty to watch through about five games here now. So let's talk about next week's cover athlete poll, because next week's episode is Season 4, Episode 3 in chronological order, Episode 80. Now, given that we've never had an Ottawa Senator that wore number 80, we've decided that our cover athlete for that week is going to be Ottawa Senators head coaches. Now, we got four names on the board. We've got Jacques Martin, Brian Murray, Paul McLean, and Guy Boucher. And I think that's every Ottawa Senators coach that's lasted more than two seasons. No. Well, no, I was going to say Cluson, but I think Cluson only lasted two years himself. Yeah, so it's the longest tenured coaches for sure. Oh, no, that's not true. Rick Bonus. Oh, I forgot about Rick Bonus. I know. I think a lot of people have forgotten about Rick Bonus as the head coach of the Ottawa Senators by this point in their history. Until he just miraculously turned up in Dallas. Yeah, and almost won a Stanley Cup too last season. Yeah, that was powerful stuff. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, Tim, let's talk about last week's episode because last week's episode was our season opener for season four. Not our best effort overall. It was kind of sloppy at times, but there were some definite highlights. For sure, having Jamie McLennan back on to talk about the late Pavel Dimitra was great. Talking about Tim Stutzla scoring his first NHL goal was great. Overall, for yourself, like how do you think our previous episode went? There was a lot of news that we had to cover, and I think we kind of spent too long on that. Well, you got to realize, Tim, and I think if you go back and look at our season openers, it's always like that. It's, it's true. always been like that. It's always like 22, 23, 24 stories, and like the next week is like seven. Yeah. We get through them. We, yeah, we got through them. We got through them. We definitely got some great talking points out of it, and hopefully for this week we're not going to have a two-hour episode like we did the last couple of weeks no kidding so now that we've got that all out of the way tim i've got to ask the all-important question that i'm sure our listeners have always wanted to know how has your week been going honestly pretty good mostly just stuck around the house and you know worked did chores went shopping the highlight of the week i guess was uh, we got dairy queen coupons so, uh, being the basic sort of people we are, uh, we had went and got buy one, get one free boxes of ice cream sandwiches and buy one, get one for a dollar blizzards. Yeah, that's pretty basic. That's pretty basic. I was going to ask, though, like when it comes to Dairy Queen ice cream treats, excluding blizzards, like what is kind of your favorite? Like, are you a dilly bar guy, a buster bar, ice cream sandwich kind of guy, ice cream cake? What? Um, it's hard to say it. I do just enjoy, I do enjoy most of it. I think uh, for like kind of the handheld stuff, I definitely do gravitate towards the ice cream sandwiches because I always find with 
and now I'm kind of getting that psychosomatic feeling of it. Uh, whenever you get deep into like a dilly bar, and we don't have the usually eat the Buster bars because Chelsea's allergic, but uh, once you get to the core of the dilly bar and your tongue hits the wooden stick, you just get that awful feeling running down your tongue. Oh man, I I know I know exactly the feeling. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. And did you notice like my, like my speech complete like just my tongue stopped moving as I was talking about it because it's just like you get that feeling. You're like, oh, that's really unpleasant. Well, you know what, Tim? Sometimes a audio cue is all that you need to really make your point noted. So yeah, I usually go with the ice cream sandwiches. Solid. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. Dairy Queen does do a pretty good ice cream sandwich. Although for myself, I'm going to have to go to the Buster Bar just because, you know, I don't think the Buster Bar gets enough, enough love, to be perfectly honest with you. Because when you talk about Dairy Queen ice cream t- treats, usually the blizzards are always brought up. Obviously the ice cream cake... But it, I don't know why. It just always seems like the regular dilly bars are always the ones that get the most love. And for me, if I can take a note from Hockey Analytics, Tim, yeah. the dilly bars taste per 60 is just off the charts. Those analytic numbers. Ah, uh, I see what you're going for there. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think I've ever had the Buster Bar, mostly because, yeah, the only times I ever go to <laughs> DQ nowadays are with Chelsea. And, yeah, we can't have them. Yeah, is Chelsea just allergic to peanuts? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well, that's, that's no good. So oh, t- well. Yeah, it is what it is, you know what? But, yeah, you know what? You can't... Nothing you can really do about that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week, because you know what? It was kind of a busy week for me at work. Obviously, we have a dishwasher that didn't come to work. She, well, they claim she was sick, but, you know, I don't know. She's only casual on call nowadays. But I, I will talk about one serious note. And I know that I've talked about this on the past episodes, especially with the Bellas Talk Day, the, about my mental health. And this week was not great. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Because the other night, uh, when was it? Not the other night. It was probably uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday night. Uh-huh. So one of the things that I don't, I haven't really discussed is that I do occasionally deal with night terrors. It's mostly if I consume too much caffeine to the point where it just triggers something in me where I wake up in the middle of the night getting angry or upset about something. Gotcha. Which is weird because usually the only caffeine I drink is from energy drinks. And I really didn't drink an energy drink that day. I had two, two cups of tea and that was it. That's all the caffeine I had. And I don't know what triggered me, but something triggered me to the point where I woke up and I literally could he- I could feel my voice just cracking. I guess I was yelling in my sleep. And I woke up like, what the fuck just happened? So I basically laid down, curled in a little ball, and just fucking laid there. And, you know, the internal sadness that I was feeling. And Wednesday was not great. So basically, the whole day was just a write-off. I was having a shit day at work. Mental health was not great. So I made the decision. I said, you know what? I'm fucking miserable right now. I'm tired. I didn't sleep well. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to watch wrestling because it was Wednesday night. AEW Dynamite was on. And I'm going to turn my brain off. One little problem with that. AEW did not record that night on our PVR. Because apparently somebody in my household thought that recording Real Housewives of, I don't know, fuck off the land probably 
I think it was like Real Housewives of like Salt Lake City or something, which I didn't realize that, you know, Real Housewives dealt with Mormons, but, you know, apparently the, uh, whatever the term, the poly, polymigrous or whatever you want to call them. Oh, polyamorous. Polyamorous, yes, thank you. Apparently that's now, obviously with the Mormons, you know, several spouses and whatever, that's kind of a thing, but I was just like, I don't know and I don't understand why anybody would ever want to watch a show that was scripted, predetermined, and the action may or may not be real, as opposed to wrestling. <laughs> like, come on. Like, think about it. With wrestling, you know, yeah, there's some stupid storylines, but there's some really good storylines. And what's next, Tim? Are you What's next? Are you going to tell me that Kane and The Undertaker aren't really brothers? That Yokozuna's not really Japanese? That Shawn Michaels wait, wait, really wait. didn't lose his smile? They have a fake Japanese wrestler. Yes. That's hilarious. Oh, I they know. They just gotten a real Japanese person. They could have, but apparently getting a large Samoan guy to and pass him off as a Japanese guy apparently was possible in the early 1990s. Well, to be fair, there's a, there is a good amount of half-Japanese, half-Samoan people out there. and Unlike the average Japanese person who's quite condensed. Uh, they are very big people, and uh, they do very well at sumo. Yeah, so I can see why they'd want to pass off someone as not j- someone else as Japanese, because the average Japanese person is not very big. I hit my head on many doors when I'm over there. Yes, because basically to them, you're just like Andre the Giant. You're just like eight feet tall to them. Well, it's... It's ridiculous that there's all these doors and stuff that they are six feet tall. And it's not a problem for most people. Like, if I'm going through uh, older parts of Tokyo, or even some of the newer parts of Tokyo, I have to duck. That's fair. That's fair. So, you know, obviously, after coming to the realization that I wasn't going to be able to watch AEW Dynamite that night because it didn't record, I did download it. I still haven't got a chance to watch it. I decided, fuck it. I am going to watch something wrestling related. So I went onto YouTube and I looked up Dark Side of the Ring. So for those who don't know, Dark Side of the Ring is a television show created by Vice. And we've talked about Vice on the program because of certain nutsack injection stories Tim may or may not have read about. Um, the wonderful, hard-hitting journalism. Yes. So, so anyway, Dark Side of the Ring. So it's one of these shows that... One of my coworkers actually got me onto that because they know I'm big into wrestling and they know like, hey, you know, Tay, I think you'd be really interested in this. So I was watching it. And as a wrestling fan, obviously a lot of these stories are pretty well known. Like there was Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. There was the Montreal Screwjob. There's some really, really good stories. But the one story I ended up watching that night was about the Brawl for All. So I know you're not super into wrestling, Tim, so I'll give you a bit of a backstory about the Brawl for All. So basically, Vince Russo, who was one of the writers for WWE at the time, he heard Bradshaw, who was one of the cocky pro wrestlers in the locker room, bragging to everybody that he was the toughest guy in the room, and if this was a real fight, he would win. So Vince Russo, to get back at him, went to Vince McMahon and proposed the Brawl for All. And basically, it was a scripted boxing tournament hitting 16 guys against each other, and whoever ended up winning would get a main event push. Guys ended up getting injured in this. And Jim Cornette, who is like one of the higher-ups in WWE, who A, hates, 
He hates Vince Russo with a passion, and it's so obvious when you watch this. And obviously, he was just so angry at Vince Russo for injuring guys left and right in this tournament. And I think I was watching that, and the one thing I really appreciate about Dark Side of the Ring is even if you don't have an understanding about the wrestlers and anything that's going on, I think you could at least find something very interesting, very entertaining, because it's very, very well scripted, very good stories. The Brawl for All, I think, is one of them that you kind of need context as to why Jim Cornette was pissed off against Russo, why Russo can't understand why Cornette was getting so angry about him because it's this is just about wrestling. And I often wonder, like, for people who aren't into wrestling, I wonder who watches that episode with no context, just thinks, these guys are out of their mind for talking the way they are. I would imagine most people who aren't really keyed into the backroom politics probably would be. True. But, you know, I think for me, when I was watching that and Corny was going off about Vince Russo, and I remember just thinking, like, people would think this guy's an absolute psychopath. Because he was just getting so mad and so animated about it. And eventually it did get to the point where Vince Russo had to file a restraining order in real life. This is not some, like, kayfabe kind of shit. This is real life because Jim Cornette had left him a voicemail saying that he was going to kill him over wrestling and all the shit. Like, he was just getting super pissed off. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, and I have the context to why these guys are mad at each other, but I just wonder if people would really just watch that and think these guys are out of their fucking mind. Well, if you're getting to the point where you're leaving death threats over the phone, shit's not on. No, you you have crossed the line something crazy by that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Anybody out there, if you're interested in watching Dark Side of the Ring, the episodes are up on YouTube right now for how long, I don't know. There's two seasons. I actually thought the second season was was very well put together, but also better than the first season because they covered the Chris Benoit incident from 2007, the death of Owen Hart, which I actually found out, Tim, watching that, that Owen's widow, Martha, actually works at the University of Calgary. And when I was watching that during the summer, I actually messaged your wife, Chelsea, shout out. And I said, I asked her, I'm like, hey, Chelsea, like, you know, I was watching Dark Side of the Ring and Martha Hart's on here. She's talking about, she worked for the University of Calgary. And I asked her if she had ever met this lady. And Chelsea has said, has told me, she says, you know, she might have walked past her at a, an event or something, but she didn't know her personally. Yeah. No, well, the thing is, it's, uh, the University of Calgary has, uh, I want to say a research staff, fairly large research staff, so... I'm not surprised. Yeah, but you never. But you know, I think for myself, because again, I do work at a school that's obviously not the size of the University of Calgary or anything. But you know, I did kind of figured because what what Chelsea does at the university, I figured, hey, you know what? You never know, right? Like they might have run into each other or whatever at whatever kind of event. Well, it's like I know, uh, like for instance, at U of T, I don't know really anyone outside of the economics or business departments. Just because I don't really interact with, with those, except maybe some, like, the math department. Like, at UVic, it was the same thing. Uh, business, math, economics. Just because those are the people I work with, right? There's I don't really need to talk with people and say the sociology department. And Chelsea's probably the same way. 
Okay, so you're saying there's not a ton of intermingling between the departments. No, uh, it's something that the schools are actively trying to promote, but uh, it's it's hard. Yeah, well, we had the same problem at work, and you know, I, even at our Christmas parties and stuff, it's almost like very cliquish, because you can tell who works for what department, because they all sit together, they don't really intermingle with anybody else. And it's just to the point where even as a kitchen staff that we just look at it and be like, like, yeah, look at these people and you know, aren't they so snobby? And yet we're the same way. Well, it's, it's kind of to be expected because it's like, if you're at that sort of event, you're probably want to talk with people that you work with in a more casual setting, right? That's fair. That is fair. Yes. Yeah, so like, I don't think it's malicious. I think it just kind of happens. Yeah, and I've kind of just looked at it that way too, right? And I know for myself, like, I don't know everybody that works at the school, but, you know, if I run into them, I say hello, and they know me by name, and I'm, sometimes I don't know theirs, but that's okay. I, you know, make small talk, and we're all good. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, it's great to hear that your week's been good and my week's been going all right, which can mean only one thing. It's that time of the episode, Tim, where we have to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. I will say one thing, Tim, and I didn't realize this until I edited the episode, I uploaded it. It wasn't like the day after. In last week's episode for Top of the Hour, I forgot to put in the Peace Towers. The Peace Tower Bells. And I didn't realize that, and nobody called me out on it. So, you know, hopefully we can make that slide, and we'll definitely have to do it for this week. Honestly, fair. Yeah. So, Tim, we got a couple of shout outs we got to give out to. First of all, we got to give a quick shout out to Montreal Canadiens goaltender Carey Price, who became the fifth youngest goalie in NHL history to reach 350 wins. Price, drafted fifth overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 2005, is in his 14th season with the Canadiens with a career record of 350, 250, and 76, with a goals against average of 9.17. Now, of course, these stats, they're very current to the time of the story happening, so it might be different today. Again, like when we were talking about last week's episode with Dustin Brown, it's crazy to think. Carey Price is in his 14th season with the Habs. Yeah, no kidding, eh? But at the same time, it's also kind of crazy to think that he's the youngest guy to get to 350 NHL wins. Well, he's the fifth youngest. Oh, sorry, fifth youngest. Like, that's kind of crazy. It is definitely crazy, and but I think it's more crazier because the Canadians have not exactly put a great team in front of him throughout his entire tenure, right? And obviously, I've always said, I've said it here on this program, I've said it outside of this show, is that... The Montreal Canadiens will only go as far as Carey Price will take them. And I will say, like, Carey Price, there was a period of five, six, seven years, he was easily the best goalie in the NHL. Because, you know, and this is with no disrespect to Henrik Lundqvist or Roberto Luongo or whoever you want to add into that category, but the difference between those guys and Carey Price is the team in front of them. Oh, for sure. Like, uh... How long did Montreal keep wheeling out, like, ancient Thomas Polkanek and Andre Markov as first center, first D? Yeah, and then they turned around and said, hey, you know who's a good idea? Brian Gionta. Oh, God, I forgot about that. 
picking up ancient Brian Gianta. Yeah, and then they made that that really really huge deal that turned that blew up in their face with Scott Gomez. Yeah, no, I'm not sure if I fully supported this, but I'm starting to get the feeling that this might be the most competitive Habs team that Bergevin has put in front of Carey Price. I would, yeah, absolutely. I would uh, for sure agree with that, Tim, because that's not even a debate. Because honestly, when you look at the teams that Mark Bergevin has put on the ice with the Habs, and obviously there's some exceptions there, like the 2017 Habs where he brought in Alex Radulov. But you know what? Just overall, I think when you look at this team as a whole, this is probably, I agree with you, it's probably the most competitive team they put in front of them. But time will tell if whether this is going to be one of the best teams that he's put on the ice so far. Well, one of the things is just they are definitely a lot stronger on the puck so far this year on both ends of the ice. It is true. It is true. But I think a lot of that has to do with the new acquisitions of guys like Tyler DeFoley and Josh, Josh Anderson, Anderson, Thomas Tatar. Thomas Tatar. So, you know, got to hand it to them for some of their, their good marks that they've done. Yeah, well, one of the big things that We'll have to see uh, how just Perry Kotekameni continues to play out. Yeah, and Nick Suzuki. Yeah. He's managed to assemble a pretty decent forward core. I think so. And honestly, the defense is looking pretty decent nowadays, too. So, got to hand it to him for that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby moved into a tie for third on the all-time overtime goal list alongside Ilya Kovachuk with 17 during Pittsburgh's game versus Washington on January 19th. I'm honestly kind of surprised that Crosby's even third. I would have thought he would have been close to number one by now. Given all those overtime's so rare, right? It is true, but also you got to realize that Crosby is in his, what, 15th, 16th season right now in the NHL? Yeah, that's another one where it's like, it's going to be weird when Crosby hangs them up because the guy's been pretty prolific for the last 15 years and consistently outside of the outside of the concussion seasons. Yeah, well, you know what's even crazier, Tim? Is, you know that 13-year contract Alexander Ovechkin signed in 2008? That expires oh, this year. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel old now, Tim. I feel very old. And that, that contract's probably might be one of the best in the history of the nhl holy shit oh that's not even debatable it absolutely is man when you just look at the production ovechkin's put up in the nhl like imagine how many how much more millions the capitals could have given them but i'm actually more amazed that ovechkin has never renegotiated that contract in all the years since up until now it's hard to renegotiate an nhl contract right like, remember just the maneuvering that Ottawa had to do to get Albertson to renegotiate? True, but you know what? You would think that if Ovechkin went to the Capitals and said, hey, you know what? You know what? I'm putting up all these points. I'm putting up all these goals. I want to renegotiate. I want more money. Let's get this shit done. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, like, 13 years of Alex Ovechkin at under $10 million is that's a chef's case contract. Colorado Avalanche forward Nathan McKinnon became the 490th player to record 500 career points. McKinnon, drafted first overall by the Colorado Avalanche in 2013, is also the seventh player in franchise history to hit 500 points alongside 
Joe Sakic, Peter Stasny, Miguel Goulet, Milan Heyduk, Peter Forsberg, and Anton Stasny. Yeah, it's just goes to how good just goes to show how good those old Avalanche teams were, eh? It does. But you know what I think for me, when talking about Nathan McKinnon, I remember when this kid when he first came in the NHL, those first couple of years, like, yeah, he was a good player, but that was pretty much where I would have put him at, was just good. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know what kind of strides that guy hit, but next thing you know, he's hitting close to 100 points, and now he's arguably the best player in the game today. Well, I think, well, he matured a bit, because Nathan McKinnon destroyed the Q when he was on, like, him and Marty Furk were just tearing up the Q when they were in Halifax. And part of it was filling into an NHL body. Another part of it was Nathan McKinnon almost seemed to completely turn around once Matt Duchesne was out the door. So maybe he got the spot to really fill it in. Uh, he, he, him and Gabriel Landeskog really hit it off. Yeah, and we can't forget that Miko Rantanen ended up turning into a stud himself in the NHL. Yeah. One thing I will say about Nathan McKinnon, it doesn't have to do with his playing career, is that over my Christmas break, I ended up downloading NHL 21 for the PS4 with the NHL 94 Rewind. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Nathan McKinnon, best player on NHL 94 Rewind. Don't at me. Don't at you? Okay. I have played so many games of the Avalanche. I don't think I've had one game. Nathan McKinnon has not had a hat trick yet. Jesus. Is the new game any good? Do they finally fix up many of the issues they have? Not particularly. No, I mean, there's still that cheat move from for the last couple of years where basically all you need to do is just go up one of the sides, pass the puck in front of the net, and you just basically tap it in. Oh, you mean the eternal goalie cheat? Yeah, the kind of like the one in NHL 94 where all you had to do was go behind the net, pass it in front, and get a one-timer and you automatically score. But, like, that go down the side, pass, pass net front score has been there since NHL 10. True. That's two consoles. Actually, I think it was there in, like, NHL 07. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So that's three console generations. Yeah, it's kind of fucked. I know. But you know what, though? Overall, I haven't got a chance to play it a ton. I have been more of the be a GM mode. And I won the Stanley Cup with the Sens in year three. Unparalleled success, my dude. But you know what? All the big acquisition that I made on that was Matt Barzell for the Islanders was an RFA and all I had to do was give them a first rounder and Alex Formanton and they accepted it. Oh, you didn't even just offer sheet? No, because the Islanders had had, um, tendered him. Uh... Yeah, but I got him too late so I ended up signing him like the next year. That was when we won the cup where he had like 100 points. Nice. Yeah. Florida Panthers defenseman Keith Yandel recorded his 100th career goal in Florida's home opener versus Chicago. Yandel, who was drafted 105th overall by the Phoenix Coyotes in 2005, is currently in his fifth season with the Florida Panthers. Yandel's an interesting player, Tim, because, you know, when the Panthers got him from... Where did they get him from? The Coyotes? Didn't he have a stop in Vancouver? Or the Rain? No, that's the uh, Rangers. That's Ballard. Yeah, from the Rangers. He was mostly known as a power play specialist. And I think there was a lot of 
really a lot of debate whether he was going to fit in Florida, given that that was primarily what he was used for. But Keith Yandel has actually been a very, very good defenseman for the Florida Panthers. And nowadays you're hearing rumblings that he kind of wants out of Florida. So it is kind of a shame if this is the end of the road for him in Florida. But you know what? He has been a pretty good player overall for the Panthers. Well, what's kind of nuts about Keith Yandel is... uh... He's just one of those guys who's been quietly brilliant for years. And I don't think he really gets kind of the credit for it. And the other thing is, it's he almost wasn't on the opening night roster, eh? Like, he started out camp in Florida on the taxi squad. Yeah, and that's funny, eh? Because, you know, you look at the Panthers on defense, and you're like, why would Keith Yendel be on the taxi squad? He's still one of their better defensemen. Because who really, who do they have in Florida right now on defense? Ekblad, him, uh, Jason Demers. Is Demers still in Florida? Uh, I thought Demers he in, was with or, uh, Arizona. He moved over to uh, Phoenix. Arizona, okay, yeah, so he's in Arizona. So yeah, Florida really doesn't have a lot of pieces on defense where Keith Yandel would be on the taxi squad, but... Kind of like Arizona, you kind of do feel for Florida a little bit now just because it looked like they were going to be on the rise and now their team is completely falling apart again. Well, I think there were some weird trades at the deadline. Like Mike Hoffman just didn't, I guess, either didn't fit, didn't want to stay, or uh, he just wasn't a Q guy, so Hoffman's out the door. We'll see what do. Anthony Duclair is kind of a wild card. Yeah, dad and us. Yeah, losing Dadamon sucks. Yeah. It's good for us, so. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that's just team. And then the Bobrovsky gamble just has not paid off yet. No, it's completely blown up in their face. And But you know what, though? How much you want to bet if he has a bad season, Seattle takes him in the expansion draft? If he has an NMC, no, they that's, can't. Shit, that's right. Yeah, Florida's screwed there. I, I thought uh, they could have left him exposed, but no, you're right on that one. Well, we have to check if he has one first, right? <laughs> oh, no, God, if he's getting paid $10 million, he absolutely has one, for sure. But uh, while you're doing that, Tim, we're going to go uh, on to he our... He has one. Oh, does he? Okay. So, Tim, you know, with our big announcement on today's episode that we're going to have Ron Tugnut on the air, and this is a guy who, like Ronnie Tugnut, is kind of a name that I have not really thought about in years. And then he popped up in our feed. Oh, this is good. Former NHL goalie Tommy Salo has been sentenced to two months in prison after being convicted on aggravated driving under the influence after an incident in August where Salo was found behind the wheel with a blood alcohol content of .306. Salo, who's drafted 118th overall by the New York Islanders in 1993, spent 10 seasons in the NHL with three different teams, the New York Islanders, Edmonton Oilers, and Colorado Avalanche, Recording a 210, 225, and 73 record with a 2.55 goals against average and a .905 save percentage. Now, I know I, I know exactly where you're going to go with this. .306 blood alcohol content. That's fucked. How is he not dead? Like, I, I don't know what how high it has to be until you're legally dead, but .306? Well, .3 to, like... 0.25.3 up is the range where people start dying, yeah. Allegedly, there's been people who've gotten up to as far as 1.0, so 1% blood alcohol content survived, but that's 
you're a champion at that point. Holy shit. Like, what was he drinking? Was he drinking that, like, Slovakian gasoline vodka that Jamie McLennan was talking about last week? Uh, or whatever the good finish shit is, yeah, but... Or Swedish, damn. I should say, yeah. But it's funny, Tommy Salo, man, that, that's a name I have not thought about in years. And I remember him when he was with the Oilers. He was just this tall, lanky goalie for the Oilers who, like Roman Turek, was known to let in some soft goals. But I think the one goal that will always haunt him is in the 2002 Olympics against Belarus. Where I don't I don't know who on Belarus uh, was playing that game, but they just kind of fired a slap shot at him. It handcuffed Tommy Saddle to the point where he jumped up in the air. The puck went over him, behind him, and in the net. And Sweden got knocked out of the Olympics for that. Oh, really? I know. But you know what, though? Think about it. If he had saved that, Sweden would have had to play Canada in the next game. And can this is not like Canada of, like, scrubs. This is like a fourth line, which was like Theo Fleury, Joe Neuendijk, and... Uh, who would have been on that line? Simone Gagne. Yeah, like, the Canadian team and the American team were, like, disgustingly good. Dude, you had, like, nine captains on that team. You had Sackick, you had Eiserman, you had Lemieux. You had just throw a frickin' rock. You would have had Jerome McGinley, you had him. So, a very young Jerome McGinley, too, by the way. But, yeah, that yeah. Canada team was so good. But, yeah, Tommy Sallow. Like, Jesus. Like, I never thought of this guy... And when I heard a .306 blood alcohol level, and I said to you, the only guy I think that could do more than that was uh, Wes Scanlon from the band Paul Mud, who one time he got arrested, he had a .310. Jesus Christ. I don't know. It's, it's amazing, man. It's crazy. The NHL has fined the Washington Capitals $100,000 for violating COVID-19 protocols, which involves social interactions among team members who were in close contact and who were not wearing face coverings. Said players involved, including Evgeny Kuznetsov, Dmitry Olenov, Ilya Samsonov, and Alexander Ovechkin. You know, the more I think about this, the more it's like, who came up with this rule? Because with rules that tight, you're begging for people to not only break them, but break them in really dumb ways. So, like, you've got a situation where you've got a bunch of dudes on the road who literally shower together, but they can't sit in a hotel room together, even if they're wearing, even if they're wearing the mask, they're still not allowed to. This rule was made to be broken. It is true. It is true. And I don't know if you saw this or not, Tib, but... Ovi's wife actually made this huge Instagram pic. Oh, yeah, she went off. Oh, she did. She totally went off saying that the only reason that this is such a big deal is because they were Russian. And, you know, if this was a Canadian guy's doing this, it wouldn't be such a big deal. And I'm reading this thinking, no, it's because four players got caught. This is why that's a big deal. If, if they were doing it and nobody knew, okay, that'd be one thing. But the fact that these guys got caught doing it that's why this is a big deal because you don't see it so far in this and the very early of this nhl season we haven't seen anything like this yet or maybe certain groups of players are allowed to to get away with more than other groups are would probably be the more charitable interpretation of ovigetchen's wife going off It, it is true but you know what tim and i think that mindset only goes so far because you know, because Alexander Ovechkin 
one of the greatest players of all time, a great ambassador for the NHL, especially in Russia. The NHL cracking down on this is only proving that, yes, this rule is meant to be broken, but it doesn't matter who you are. We are going to find you regardless of whether you're Alexander Ovechkin or you're a third-line plug. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Although I guess uh, if Sidney Crosby gets a slap on the wrist, then she has a point. True, but then again, Sidney Crosby, you know, had a little tap on Mark Mathot's hand and didn't get a suspension for that either, so. <laughs> There's a lot of COVID rules that make no fucking sense. Not just the NHL in general, like closing homeless shelters. Yeah, there's just so many things going on nowadays, Tim, that obviously it's not just a hockey thing, as you said, right, where homeless shelters are being shut down. But you know what? I mean, this is a hockey podcast. We're not going to go super too deep into that. But again, I mean, I really hope that the Caps do kind of go past this and we can go on and more NHL teams will learn from this because honestly I don't want an outbreak breaking out with these guys I don't want hockey to go away again so let's just be smart about this well as we saw with Dallas Florida Nashville Columbus and other teams as well Carolina these outbreaks they're gonna happen whether you follow the rules or not yeah well we also can't forget that Columbus got an outbreak too as well yeah so it's at this point it's make rules that people will follow and you might get reductions of people saying fuck it not following the rules you oh. gotta take measured risk fair enough and we suck at that so tim we got three fines we're going to talk about philadelphia flyers forward nicholas abi kubel i I really hope I pronounced that correctly, was fined $4,633.62, the maximum allowable under the CBA for roughing Buffalo Sabres defenseman Rasmus Dolan. This is Obi Kubel's first NHL fine. So I will say right now, Tim, like I didn't get a chance to see any of these clips. No, the one thing I do want to talk about, and we were talking about this last season, I can't recall if we talked about this what exactly do they mean by the allow- maximum allowable under the CBA? Because, you know, when we hear the, that term, it's almost like a buzzword. When you hear it with these stories, none of the the cash fines are the same. None of them really are. They're very all different. But the thing for me, and I think is like, how exactly do they go about finding these guys with that ex- with those exact numbers? I know uh, there's they negotiate formulas and I believe to some degree they are salary based and it depends on what the infraction is. Okay, well I figured you know that you were good with numbers and all that stuff. So I figured we have to bring this up and to get your uh, take on that cuz honestly I'm not a math major. I'm not somebody who's great with numbers. So for me I just look at that and be like okay, is what it is. Honestly, I would have just done it up to a round number, but yeah, that's that's whatever. And same thing, you know, Vancouver Canucks forward Elias Pettersson was fined $3,987.07. Also, the maximum allowable under the CBA. For slashing Calgary Flames forward Sean Monaghan, this is Pettersson's first angel fine. 
like I said, we don't really need to go into this. I didn't see it, as you mentioned already, with the your reasoning to why the number it is what it is. So I guess we're going to move on to the one... Tr uh, sorry, we're going to talk about the first trade that happened this week. The Minnesota... Yeah, you mean we got some Ottawa Senators news? No. We are going to talk about Former an Ottawa Senators... Ottawa Senators news. A Senators legend, though. Oh. Minnesota Wild have acquired Ian Cole from the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for defenseman Greg Pederin. Cole played in two games in the Colorado, recording zero points, while... Pedrin recorded two assists in three games for Minnesota this season. And then Pedrin ended up getting put in on waivers by the Colorado Avalanche. Guess it was just a salary down. Pretty much, man. Pretty much. And now we come to the big story of the week. And when talking about this, I am going to go on a little bit of a rant afterwards. So uh -huh. keep this in mind when we get to this. The Columbus Blue Jackets have traded forward Pierre-Luc Dupuis in a 2022 third-round pick to the Winnipeg Jets for forward Patrick Laine and Jack Rosalovic. Dubois recorded 18 goals, 31 assists for 49 points in 70 games for Columbus last season, while Laine recorded 28 goals, 35 points for six, 35 assists for 63 points in 68 games, and Rosalov recorded 12 goals, 17 assists for 29 points in 71 games for Winnipeg last season, respectively. Okay. Now, I know that this is the big story that our listeners want to know. What do we think about the trade? And we will talk about the trade here in a few minutes. And the rant I'm going to go on, Tim, is not about whether this is a good hockey trade, whether this is a bad hockey trade. I'm going to talk about something kind of unrelated to these players. Because in a vacuum, okay, you can definitely tell why they made this trade. Now, there's always winners and there's always losers in these trades. For me, personally, there is not a winner in this. Really? Hear me out on this. Because there is only losers in this trade. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, Tay, like, who are the losers in this trade? The losers in this trade is the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Winnipeg Jets. Think of it this way. When you go past, when you, when you look back at the histories of both these franchises, this trade only solidifies the notion star players do not want to play in those cities. Mm. Go through their both their histories. You know, and it's not just the big superstars that these teams have brought in. Like, you think about it. Columbus was not able to keep Antemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, Matt Duchesne, Evander Cash. Now, you might be asking yourself, Tim, and you might be asking yourself, listeners, well, Tay, you know, you say, well, how come these players don't want to be here and all this stuff? You know, well, what about Rick Nash? What about Ilya Kovachuk? That is totally a different thing. The reason why these guys ended up leaving was not because they didn't like playing there. It was because they were basically stuck on an island where it was just them. Those teams in Atlanta and Columbus did not build good teams around them. And I just, I don't know what it is. I got so fired up when I saw this because you know what? If there's two teams and two fan bases 
who are so tired and so frustrated with the notion that they can't keep star players, it's Columbus and Winnipeg. And maybe it's because I cheer for a smaller market franchise. And, you know, because think about it. The Ottawa Senators are not a big team. They're not a big market city. We are we were in the same boat the last couple of years where we couldn't keep Carlson, we couldn't keep Mark Stone, we couldn't keep any of our star players for different reasons. And you look back at the players that didn't want to be in Winnipeg. You look at Evander Kane. But for me, this further damages the perception of these teams in the NHL. And it's not just because of the superstars that ended up leaving. It's also the players that they have scouted, drafted, and developed. But the thing is for me, Tim, and it's, it's very, it was very different when Rick Nash left Columbus. It was different when Evander Kane left Winnipeg. Both of these teams are now set up where they can compete without them. And I really, really think when fans are allowed to go back to games, watch as Dubois and Line get booed mercilessly in those cities for dragging their teams through the mud like this. Dubois' situation, I think, is a bit different than Line's in particular because Dubois does sign the long-term contract then just realizes he wants out versus Line, who you could kind of see things that weren't really working between Paul Maurice and Patrick Line for for a while. And it's something that uh, Adam did bring up in our Jets up the Jets section of our Western Conference introduction. Although I think it's tough, and I think you're selling Columbus a bit short here because they have built a, a defense and a very, very good defense that I think they're keyed into the system. No, I wasn't selling Columbus short, Tim. I was basically, as I said, with both Winnipeg and Columbus, is that they are now set up that if Dubois and Line are both gone, they still have a team there that, that can compete. Mm. And for myself, and you know what? I think the 2020s as a decade is going to be one where you're going to see big player movements. Because nowadays, you're definitely seeing a more player-centric mindset in the NHL. Where, yes, you'll definitely have your star players that will take hometown discounts. Or they'll take below-market contracts to stay with the team to build a winner in these cities. But you know what? You're also seeing players like a John Tavares. Who, you know what? If he didn't want to be with the Islanders, the Islanders should have traded him. Because think about it, if the Islanders had traded him, they would have gotten stuff for him. Not basically a, maybe he'll stay, maybe he won't stay, and then he just fucks off anyway. So I can understand why the Islander fans are pissed off, but again, and I'm all for the players. And when we're talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois signing that contract, that was easily the smartest thing he could have done. Because if he was an RFA and the Blue Jackets tendered him, and he says, no, I want out. Well... Number one, you're not getting a, you're not going to get paid because you're not under contract, so the Blue Jackets aren't obligated to pay you. He signed a contract, so he's getting the bonus money, and even if he doesn't want to play the season, eh, that's fine. I'll just sit out. You guys pay me my bonus money. Who cares? I don't know, Tim. I think this really just brought my piss to a boil more so because I know how Columbus fans feel. I know how Winnipeg fans feel when they see their star players walk out the door. So I get that. But you know what? Is that, you know, like, I like Columbus. 
They've got great fans in Ohio. The Winnipeg Jets, they are tremendous fans. Every game is a sellout in Winnipeg. But, you, like I said, you go past their history. All the star players ended up walking out the door, being traded, didn't want to play in those markets. But I think the great thing is that for both teams, you're seeing players that want to be there. You know, you look at the Mark Shifleys, the Blake Wheelers, the Connor Hullabucks, the Alex Texiers, the well, Seth Jones. You look back. at the players in Columbus, in Winnipeg. These guys want to play there. They want to build a winner. So, you know, I feel for these guys, and we are going to talk about the trade here in a sec, but I think that's basically my rant, is this just further damages the perception of these teams, and Dubois and Line are now more sort of blame for that in this current iteration. It's tough because you do have a lot of very good players who do want to play on both teams. Like, you have, like, Columbus's vaunted defense. You have probably one of the deepest center cores in the NHL in Winnipeg. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois did have to wave to go to Winnipeg in the first place. I think so. I think I think Winnipeg was a team that was interested, and I know that Dubois wanted to go to a big market, and yet he goes to Winnipeg. Yeah, so it's like, I'm not sure that much reputational damage has been done, but I think, uh, yeah, you're going to have pissed-off fans for the PLD and Patrick Line reunion tours, although I'm not even sure if there's going to be a, that many pissed-off fans in Winnipeg, right? Because it's not like Line A walked out the door flipping off both middle fingers saying thanks for nothing. It was a player that was having a bit of a controversial time there. Like, the skill's there, but it was a will-he-won't-he will situation, and is he really fitting in with the team? So, like, I, I think Winnipeg fans will be like, okay, we got this potentially fantastic center in return. True. I just, and I was talking to Adam about this, and I says, you know what? Because I, um, you can't quote me. I'm not sure when these guys' contracts end up coming up. But I says, I bet you anything, Dubois and Line, when these contracts are over, watches neither of them are with those teams. Dubois will be like in Timmy Panera and he'll go to a big market for big dollars. Patrick Line, as you said, like how well is he going to get along with John Tortorella? Torts' reputation is not ruined in any of this because players hate playing for Torts. And it's been well known that players hate playing for Torrance. But the thing is, when you look at the history of head coaches that were hated, like the Ken Hitchcocks, the Scotty Bowmans, the Mike Keenans of the world, they were all winners. And whether people want to admit it nowadays, John Tortorella is the best head coach the Blue Jackets have ever had. How many head coaches have they had? Several. Oh yeah, they actually did go through a carousel the first They went They went through a carousel, including Ken Hitchcock. But Torts, yeah, Torts comes in with that reputation that he's a hard ass. The players aren't going to like him, but he has a Stanley Cup. He has a Jack Adams Award. He has the backing of awards behind him coming into a situation. But you look at the Blue Jackets; they've bought into a system that he put in. Look at like Nick Foligno; he's a perfect captain for them because he bought into that hook, line, and sinker. And look how far the Blue Jackets have come in the last 10 years since Torts came in, since Jarmo Kekalainen came in. Look how far they've come. They went from a team that lost Rick Nash, their best player of all time, 
to a team that looked like a legit cup contender last year. Unfortunately, the Magic against the Lightning didn't come twice, but although they did put down like a, a really beefy Toronto Maple Leafs team. That's true. And we also can't forget about Tavares hitting the post. Oh, it's still my favorite moment so far of this decade, Tim. Well, we've got many more years for, for more to come up. That's true, Tim. That is true. So, Tim, I don't know if you have any more comments you want to make on this story before we head off into the games. It's an interesting trade, and I think I think both teams kind of they got something that they wanted. Columbus gets firepower that they desperately need. Winnipeg gets a very good pivot. The question is, is do, do both teams have all the pieces they need to kind of put something together? To be perfectly fair to Winnipeg, the Canadian division's a fucking joke. So they probably had good chances on either side. Yep. Uh, the Central Division is going to be a knife fight. And if Columbus could do it with a, an even weaker uh, center cadre, especially if uh, Max Domi doesn't play very well, will remain to be seen. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that my rant will probably be seen as more of a hot take than anything else. But you know what? I'm sure there's fans out there that will probably agree with me, and I've made my thoughts known, and there's not a whole lot I could really say more about this, Tim. Mm, well, to be fair, it's the reason why I have a podcast. Exactly. But seriously, this Canadian division fucking sucks. Yeah, and we're going to talk all about it, Tim. So, it's time of the episode where we got to talk about some games. Now, we got three games to talk about this evening, all of them versus... The Winnipeg Jets. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the first game of the evening. Jets versus Senators. This is a 4-3 Jets overtime victory. Jets goals are scored by Neil Pionk. Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, and Nicholas Ehlers in overtime. Sens goals were scored by Josh Norris, Chris Tierney, and Alex Galchenyuk. Shots were 41-28 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Winnipeg throughout this game. Ottawa's offensive attack came out flying, applying heavy pressure on Winnipeg's goalie, scoring twice in the first period. As the game went on, Ottawa's attack slowed down as Winnipeg began to get good scoring chances, tying it at three, and then winning it in overtime. This is something that we're, we're going to talk about this through the other two games, but I think it really comes out in this game where you definitely see Ottawa. There's a lot of pieces on the Ottawa team that have this ability to just fly and really apply pressure and do it consistently. And uh, when they're not on the ice, things don't go that well. One person that I really was impressed with, even though he got less ice time than he should have, was Alex Galchenyuk. Like, this is a man who knows he's fighting for his career. And... That he looked dangerous on multiple reps, and his like his goal wasn't even his prettiest play of the night. It wasn't his prettiest play, and we'll definitely talk about this. So Alex Galchenyuk had one goal and three shots in his Ottawa Senators debut, and I actually was really surprised by his play. And for me, he kind of he kind of looked a lot like Mike Hoffman. You know, his feet was always moving. He was in a position to get a one timer off, and you're absolutely right. Like he definitely looked like a guy who was fighting for his career in this game. Yeah, and well, the thing is, like, just be, like he does keep his feet moving. He was drawing penalties really nicely, and uh, there was one—he almost got a second goal with this beauty shot 
where he managed to fight off defender, get a clear look at Collar Hellebuck, and Hellebuck just kind of arced the glove across the net to catch the puck on his offside. Like, that's just how nice of a shot Alex Galchenyuk got away. And it sucks <laughs> because the guy doesn't get to play for the rest of the week. He doesn't, and that's kind of the shitty thing about DJ Smith in these three games, and we'll definitely talk about this as we go on, but... You know, the one thing that we talked about last season was that DJ Smith held guys accountable. And we're definitely going to talk about this in this week. That's the one thing he's not really doing. He's not holding guys accountable. Especially with the Cedric, you know, Payox and, you know, the Erica Branson's. Guys are taking stupid penalties in the third period that ends up costing Ottawa. If this was last season, he would be benching guys left and right for doing that. Well, like, this is the reason why Bobby Ryan got benched, right? It is. Like, I remember, and it was, again, it was like four, five games into the season. Even that's when DJ Smith was like, you know what? You're not carrying your own weight. Go sit on the bench. Yeah, and if that DJ Smith doesn't come back, I'm going to be very worried about the development of this team. Yeah, as we've seen, because, again, Colin White is not playing. And already on Twitter, people are starting a free Whitey hashtag on Twitter, which is kind of... Kind of funny, but you know, it is what it is. So I guess we, as last week, Tim, we talked about Tim Stutzla scoring his first NHL goal. Josh Norris scored his first NHL goal on six shots. This guy played a really strong game overall. I mean, that goal, that's a goal scorer's goal right there. Well, it was such an aggressive play too. as And it was beautiful work by the Kachuk Batherson Norris line to free that puck up, set up the cycle, and then Norris just pots that fucker. What a beautiful line. It was a beautiful line. And you know what? That's the one thing that I've really noticed with the young guys is that you can definitely tell that they're super amped to play in these games. You know, we saw it with Tim Stutzla. We saw it with Drake Batherson. We saw it with Josh Norris. We saw it with Galchenyuk. And that's really, really great to see that these young guys are ready to play. They want to go out there and contribute. And speaking about Drake Batherson, Tim, he had one assist on seven shots. And this is a game that I really think he's really starting to come into his own. He was creating a lot of scoring chances and throwing the body. And I'm not sure if you saw Brian Five or Six's tweet. He said that Drake Batherson looks a lot like Alexei Yashin out there, but more physical. I can see that. There were so many plays where you'd see last year like Anthony Duclair get go behind the net and get beaten off the puck. Batherson comes out of those situations with the puck and I'm just like, how how do you keep fighting through that? It is true. And the one thing I really like about Batherson in this game and going back to Alexei Yashin, not just because he wears number 19 like Yashin did, but even the way he positions his body, the way he skates, the way he handles the puck, it's like watching a young Alexei Yashin out there. And the one thing is about Batherson is that I'm actually really amazed how physical he really is in these games nowadays. Oh, he's a mean son of a gun, eh? I know, he's really committed. Like, we might have, I'm not going to say another Brady, but we're going to have a guy that people are going to take way too lightly because you see a bigger body. He was not known to throw his weight around, but now he is. And he's good. Like, and he's getting really good in this team. Yeah, no, so I like I, I expect to see a lot more Drake Batherson and yeah, I really welcome it. 
what the fuck was that overtime? Because that's really the big negative here is anytime the veterans touch the ice, bad things happen. It's true. It's true. And you know what? And again, I totally agree with Sen's Twitter. Hard for me to, I know, hard to believe that, Tim. But, you know, I have to agree with them on this. <laughs> when you see guys like the Philip Shalopics and the Colin Whites on the taxi squad, and yet the Pegettes and these kind of guys. And Art of And an easy off. Like, why are we not playing the young guys? freaking Michael. Sorry, this is a game three complaint, but. And then when someone does come off, it's fucking Michael Haley. What the fuck? I don't know. And and that's the thing. That's the general feeling that this episode's going to be like. It's just, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, no, it's... These personnel decisions are ridiculous. Like, I'd understand it if, like, Cedric Pitkeck could actually throw the security blanket down and protect the lead. Yeah, fine, go for it. If Eric Branson could skate, yeah, go for it. These guys can't do it. Stop throwing them out there. You're better, way better off. Like, just let the young guys go and they're going to play high risk and they've shown that they can control the tempo. Let them go for it. Yeah, I would, and if I was DJ Smith, on the back end, the one thing I would do is I would take a Branson out and put in Christian Willannon. Because Willannon has actually proved he's actually a pretty... He's been pretty decent, and I really feel that even with last season, the one criticism of DJ Smith is that a young guy would make a mistake and he gets benched. And that's, I just feel, Christian Willannon is that guy for DJ Smith. Is that he makes one bad pass, he sits on the bench the rest of the night. Well, Christian Willannon even made an oblique reference to it. Well, what's really interesting is, uh, honestly, the way Nikita Zaitsev has played so far, like, he actually looked about as good as he has as Ottawa Senator in these three, like these five games so far. It's not permanent. I don't think he's tra- turned over a new leaf, but I'd feel a little more comfortable having him in the first line center slot and having Gabranson sit and giving Artem Zub some rep, some rep, some reps. Let let Josh Brown take a second or third line role. Yeah, and put Will Annan in. And luckily in game three, uh, Will Annan got to play. Coburg sat, but man, yeah, some veterans need to sit. So we do got a couple more players we got to talk about. Brady to Chuck, seven shots in this game, a pretty standard Brady game as I'm referring to as. I will say right now, I would have loved to see him bury that goal between his legs. Oh, that would have been sick. Well, it's funny because uh, Gore Brown was mentioning that, sorry, Dean Brown was mentioning that, uh, in a game two nights ago, Matthew put a goal in like that. Sorry, I mean two nights prior to the first game, Matthew Kachuk put a goal in like that. Mm-hmm. So Brady was try trying to do the hey, I can do it too. Yeah, and Matthew's been pretty successful with that, so I'm not surprised Brady has tried it. And I, I think for me, the term standard Brady game is one that season four is definitely going to have to be trademarked because. Again, this was a very standard Brady game for him. Thomas Shabbat. So, Shabbat has had a pretty quiet game in this one. But the one thing I really do appreciate about him in this game, and it's a very subtle thing, is his very calm demeanor on the back end of this game. Because he didn't have any shots, he didn't get any points. But when you saw him making great breakout passes, you saw how calm and cool and collected he was on the back end. 
even though Winnipeg was completely flying right at him, it was still kind of cool to see like, okay, you know what? It's all right. Like we're not completely in danger yet, but I, I would have liked to see Shabbat at least get a point in this game for sure. But at the same time, like it's that cool collective leadership from behind that we've come to expect from Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I always appreciated about him, especially in the games where the Senators may not have a great game on the ice, but you see Shabbat and you see Tachuk and you see how very different leadership styles they have where Brady is definitely a rah-rah guy, let's go, let's go, and Shabbat's like, hey, you know what? Calm as a cucumber back here, boys. Like, don't worry, we're going to get this one. Yeah, and it's the only reason that Erica Branson hasn't looked worse. I know. I will say, though, I have... I did, actually, I didn't appreciate... I didn't really mind Josh Brown with him. But yeah, Erica Branson has not been great with Shabbat. No, and I think... Branson's pulling him down. Yeah. So, the, sorry. Uh, yeah, so do you want to go to the next game? Well, we got game? one more note, but I was going to say, I don't know um, on your end. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to turn your mic down a tiny bit. Okay, so while you do that, uh, one guy we do got to talk about was Matt Murray. 24 saves, a .857 save percentage. I know I'm the minority. I, I think he looked all right in this one. And the one thing, and why I say that is because I can't exactly blame him on the Jets goal minus the overtime goal. Because if you really look at the goals themselves, the Pianco was deflected. Okay, there's not much he can do on that. Kyle Connor, if had he not dived on that one, I think he could have had that one. And the Morrissey went, goal went right through a screen. I think the Connor goal was one that he probably wanted to have back. Absolutely, and I think he he could have had that one. Like I said, if he had not dived for it, instead of if he had slid and not dived, I think he would have had it. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, it's Matt Murray. It's I think the Senators didn't really give him too much. They gave him very good shot. Like they were giving him the offensive support, and you got to give Connor Hellebuck like top marks for that game. Because a lot of the shots the Sens were getting, they were good shots. And that's the one thing I really appreciate about, excuse me, Connor Hellebuck is that even though like we have yet to beat him in the in his starts that he had with Winnipeg, the one thing even in the games I have seen with with the Jets, I really do like Connor Hellebuck. I think he is a really good goaltender. I like his positioning when he's in the net, and. Overall, I just I just like him as a goalie. I think he's really, really good. And it's a shame that we have never been able to beat him. And maybe that's why I think he's so good, because we end up fucking playing him. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and we got two more games to talk about. I Although, I think uh, for game two, uh, I think we could sum it up with uh, this following text exchange from Wednesday. Yes. From Taylor. Hey, Tim, is this game worth watching? Tim, no. The second game between the Jets and the Senators. This was a 4-1 to Jets victory. Jets goes to score by Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Scheifele, Adam Lurie, and Blake Wheeler. Suns goals were scored by Chris Tierney. Shots were 29 even. Nikolai Ehlers opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Jets, wristing it 5-hole through a screen. Mark Scheifele deflects the Kyle Connor pass to make it 2-0. Adam Lurie cleans up the Trevor Lewis rebound after Lewis hit the post to make it 3-0. Blake Wheeler scores to make it 4-0 on a tic-tac-toe play by Connor 
to Shifley to Wheeler. And Chris Tierney scores to make it 4-1 Jets, which would be the final. So obviously, I had to condense watch this one. Obviously, the text exchange between you and I, that pretty much sums it up. But as I said in the earlier in this episode, like my mental health was not great the day previous. And I honestly, I just made a call not to watch it because I was following it on my phone. I was like, no, I'm not going to go through this. So the only note I have, again, is Matt Murray. 22 saves, a .846 save percentage. I do understand why people are getting upset about his play in this game. And Matt Murray will have some tough games, and this was definitely one of them. But as I said to you before we hit record, I'm trying to keep a mindset of, okay, these guys did not have a preseason. The only kind of preseason we had was the scrimmages against each other. So they're basically coming in with no time to prepare, no time to really work out the kinks in preseason before the season starts. And this is... The same can be said for Winnipeg. It's true. It is true. But you know what? And I think because I'm trying to give Matt Murray the benefit of the doubt when it comes to when he has bad games as I did with Craig Anderson, as I did with Anders Nilsson, as I did with Marcus Holberg. Because, again, the teams in front of him are not great. But, again, this is one of these games where, yeah, not a great effort. He had a tough game. The Jets beat him. I think we should head on to the third game. Actually, I do want to give a shout-out to Nikita Zaitsev, who was probably Ottawa's best defenseman that game. And he, he was fairly mobile and was on the right side of the puck for most of the game. I know I rag on Zaitsev a lot, but he showed up and he played well. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Actually, I do want to give one shout-out in this game. I'm just going to look up his quick name here. Was it the third game? Uh, was it the Saturday game? Hold on a sec, I'm just going to quickly look. Also, Paquette was Ottawa's worst forward by far. Oh, sorry. But that's not surprising. It was in the first game, sorry. Uh, the goalie for Winnipeg, Laurent, or Laurent Borsois. Quick shout out to him, former Couchin Valley Capital. Really? Yeah, he played for the Caps, man. When? Well, I'm glad you asked because he played for the Caps. In your grad year, 09-10, or 09-10, he played 21 games. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, he didn't have a, didn't put up great numbers, a 3.66 goals against and a 901 save percentage before he ended up going back to the WHL. It's always surprising when AHL talent comes through, uh, the, like, the BCHL, the AJHL, and stuff like that. That is true, though, that is true. I got, I'm trying to think, I don't think he went to, he didn't go to high school with us, so... No, because I think the, the like some of the caps were local. Like I think Chase Kaiser was on that team, but yeah, like some of them were, like there were the odd local one. But yeah, at that point, most of the rep players are billeting. Okay, Tim. So the third and final game in the evening: Senators versus Jets. This is a six-to-three Jets victory. Sens goals are scored by Evgeny Daninov, Brady Tuchuk, and Nick Paul. Jets goals are scored by Andrew Kopp with two, Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, 
Paul Stasny, and Mark Scheifele. Shots were 38-21 for Winnipeg. Winnipeg outplayed Ottawa in this game. Ottawa's offense came out flying in the first 10 minutes, attacking the net before it began to slow down and wrap up again before it completely stalled out. Winnipeg played a pretty patient game in this one, waiting for opportunities to open up as Ottawa's attack slowed down, which allowed them to score four in the third period to get the W. Evgeny Dadunov scored his first goal as an Ottawa Senator on four shots. Thought he played pretty well in this game. I, the only comment I really got to make, how did he not concuss or injure himself on that goal? I have no freaking clue because he went in hard. When I saw him, I was just like, oh, damn, he, he's not getting up because he went face first into the boards. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so I think I did like the Ottawa Senators' early effort in this game. As did I. I actually... I thought Zaitsev played pretty well early in the game. I did like that Shabbat and Zaitsev saw more time together than Shabaka Branson. That's a welcome development. Christian Wolanin got actually got a decent amount of time. He played 17 minutes. Would have wished Branson didn't play over 20, but uh, you can't have it all. I actually, I was really happy with Nick Paul. And I'm glad that you mentioned Nick Paul, Tim, because I have him in my notes, and I was really impressed with him too. One goal, one assist on two shots. And the one thing I was actually, and we didn't talk about this in either of the other Jets games, Nick Paul played pretty decently in those games. And he's been a guy, he has really surprised me with how well he has come along so far this year. Well, it's funny because it's a continuation of the last two years of Nick Paul's development where you have just a very, like a, a very solid top nine player who has decent enough hands to put some puck in the net, very responsible in the zone end, and can get pitch in, get the puck moving a bit in the offensive zone. It's basically the idea, ideal tweet middle line player. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think for Nick Paul, if you were to tell me at the start of this year that Nick Paul was going to be one of Ottawa's better players, I don't think I would have agreed with you, given you, know, you had the Chuchucks, they had the Shabbats, Dadunov came in, you have Batherson, Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla. It's been Nick Paul who's actually been kind of carrying this team so far. I would say Nick Paul and the Kachuk Norris Batherson line. Like, uh, they've been fantastic. And actually, Connor Brown has been quietly good as well. Yeah, I've been happy with Connor Brown. It's just a shame he hasn't been able to really bury any of his chances because, you know, and I've made my comments felt about Connor Brown from last season, and I think that. Coming into this year, I was interested to see where he was going to go because I think that we have a pretty clear idea of what kind of player Connor Brown is. It's going to be how can he build on that coming into the season. And I, I've been happy with him. And the production offensively maybe not might not be there, but overall, just his play, I think has been pretty good. A couple other guys we need to talk about. Now, Marcus Hogberg had his first start of the season this one with 32 saves, a .865 save percentage, I will admit, not his best effort, but honestly, the Senators did not give him help up front. Especially after after the Sens potted their third goal, it felt like they tried to defend a lead. The team can't do the team doesn't have the tools to do it, and then they just couldn't get the momentum back from there. Okay, do you just want to talk about that third period? Because what the serious fuck was that? 
Uh, that was Derek Stepan not getting benched after a stupid penalty, and then the rest of the team kind of laying an egg. Because, like, and I'll admit, I only watched the first and second period. I had to condense watch the third and this one. But even from what I watched in the condensed third period, I was sitting here watching this going, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're basically, we're not moving. We're standing there. And the one thing that I will note in with you where the hell is Ottawa's compete level? Like, honestly, it, it almost seems like, and it's a trend in these games, is that if you look at the notes, like, I'll go back to my notes. Ottawa's offensive attack came up flying, applying pressure to start the game. Ottawa opened up the, you know, attack in the first 10 minutes was great. They can't, they, they can't sustain that. It's almost like they revs, they go into the red and they completely stall. And now it's like, okay, well, how do we get back to that now? And where that was not the Senators from last season. The Senators were not a good team last season. But at least the one thing that I could put lay my hat on was that they were going to come out and compete. And I'm sorry, and I understand we're only two episodes into the season. Where's Ottawa's compete level? What I don't get is it's like when the Norris, Batherson, and Kachuk line are on the ice, things are happening. And when Nick Paul's on the ice, things are usually pretty good. It's just like, it's the Derek Stepan line, the Austin Watson line. It's just not rolling. Dad, like when Dadunov's playing with Norris and, ba- Norris and Batherson, like he's producing. Ottawa's center depth just isn't there. And if Derek Stepan doesn't figure out what he's doing in a hurry, he should be the next person benched. Like if Austin Watson can't be more than just an occasional pain in the ass, he should be benched. Why the fuck did they bring Michael Haley in to play exactly eight minutes? Cedric Paquette is injured, so he's not going to get benched, but he should be benched anyway. I get it. There hasn't been camp. This is basically preseason hockey we're watching, but it's time to move some people around. Yeah, and thankfully... Because you're right, the compete level Oaks isn't there, but, like, there's guys, like... Galchenyuk was fighting for his NHL life. Give him some road to run. Yep, and you know what? Colin White looks good when he hits the ice. That's the thing. It's almost at the point where, okay, it's time to bench Stefan, bring Colin White in. Tim Stutzla is back tonight versus Vancouver, thankfully. So that will give Ottawa's offense a jolt. But, I, like I said, I completely agree with Sen's Twitter. We need to start playing the young guys. Willanen was their best... Willanen and said were their best defensemen last night. Shabbat's going to have an off game every so often. That happens. But, like, if Willannon's on the bench tonight, I'm, or in the press box tonight, I'm going to throw a fit. Oh, so you're, Tim, you're just Willannon only giving is, reason for people to listen to Season 4, Episode 3 next week. Oh, fuck. But you're going to have such a great rant. It's going to be great. No, this is... It's fucked. Like, it, Willannon was, heads, heads up, their best defenseman Saturday night. Yet, he's getting put on the bench in favor of Braden fucking Coburn and uh, I'm getting buried in my own net Riley what the actual fuck so Tim I don't want to end this episode on such a dour note so I guess the final note we should talk about was Brady to Chuck because he had one goal and three shots I love this goal it's a classic Brady goal and that makes me happy well the nice thing is is Brady Kachuk, he's, 
I feel like last year, like, it was classic Brady Kachuk, right? This year, it's like, there's just so much more to his game, eh? It is, and it's nice to see, though, that the classic Brady to Chuck goal is when he scores, he ends up either falling down or it just looks so awkward looking when he does it that you can't help but love it. Oh, yeah. It's like but watching then, Bambi on the ice. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, we're also getting these getting a lot of very pretty plays out of Brady to Chuck, and I love it. Yeah. Actually, you know the one note that I don't have, and I don't know if you have it in your notes? This was the first game for the Ottawa Senators' white 2D jerseys. Oh, that's right. You know what? And you know me. Like, And I, I said this when the screenshots first came out. And it's it's such a tradition with Ottawa where the screenshots of the jerseys come out, the fans bitch, and then you see it on the ice and it goes, oh my god, that's beautiful. You know, you look at the NHL 100 Classic jersey, you looked at some of the other ones we've had in the past. I was kind of a skeptic with the white ones because honestly, and I said to Trevor Shackles, the one thing I wish they did, I wish they had like a black stripe on the bottom of the jersey where the red, that big, just it's not just a big red blob. You don't even notice it when you watch it in on the on the game because it's the pants. The pants, it really blends with that. And it looks great. If it wasn't for the fact that I don't trust myself to stain those jerseys, I would have maybe bought one of those instead. Not to say I don't like the black one. Not to say I don't love it, because I do, and I have my Shabbat nameplate and jersey number thanks to uh, Senzar. Shout out to them, because I won that jersey kit. I got it on there now. It looks great. But yeah, like it's so gr- nice to see those three 2D jerseys come back. And I made the tweet on Twitter the other day. I said, you know what? I know I'm the minority that didn't mind the 3D ones. After seeing both of them on the ice, why did we get rid of those jerseys? They look so clean. They look so crisp. And they look great. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waffling on if I should buy a jersey or not. It's it's bad. Every time I get to the like to the checkout page, I look at I look at the jersey. It's like two hundred, three hundred dollars. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I I know because I know you'd have to explain that to Chelsea later on when you guys get your credit card bill. But like, Tim. Well, I mean, I'm the one who deals with the deals with the finances. So, but <laughs> oh, okay, Damn, you're smart. I like it. I am a professional economist. Okay, Tim, so I don't have any more notes in these games if you just want to head off into the close for another yeah, evening. Yeah, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGifster, gr 8 W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or hopefully Mr. Tim Jensen will have a great rant for us next week on the program, shoot us an email, thirdlightplugsensecatch at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please listen, rate, and subscribe, and give us that five-star rating. What do we got in the docket for next week, Ted? So for the games of the week, Tim, now all of... The three games for this week are all versus the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver, which includes games this evening, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. All of them in Vancouver. So at the time of this recording, it is currently 6.34 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
So we're just uh, about an hour, under an hour or so away from puck drop. So I don't know if I'm going to watch the game. Maybe I'll watch it tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. But we definitely got to edit this podcast and give it up for the listeners. Also, it's kind of crazy that the game on the 27th is a 5 p.m. is a 5 p.m. start in Vancouver, eh? It is, but you know what? I guess without fans, they could really just do whatever the hell they want at this point. That's true. I am so envious of uh, Stars fans and Panthers fans, though. In what way? They can go to the game. But you know what? They might get COVID. I trade that. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. Woo!